Welcome to CooperCast episode 88. This is your host, Al Speedle, John Sachs. In this eighth episode of Black and White and Rock and Roll, we look again at the Blues Project and ponder upon Jews and Blues, plus Jimmy Reed, John Lee Hooker, and Danny Kalb. You were tight with some of the Italian rock guys who had jumped in and started their own... I think they started their own doo-wop groups, right? Like, because uh, the Italian kids were the first ones to say, "Wow, this is cool. We got to do this." Yeah. Again, I don't think that their original intent was to replace the black guys. They just freaking loved it and they wanted to do it. Well, they emulated it. They emulated it, right? Yeah. Just like, just like the Blues Project, you know, right. emulated blues people. Right. It was out of. It was out of fascination and respect it wasn't trying to but when when i joined the band i had this you know i was writing these songs right you know so so i just tried to uh write stuff that they could play but that wasn't necessarily blues right Right. A little bit like the Beatles. I mean, they started maybe with rock and blues, but they kind of personalized it to themselves. Or the Rolling Stones, who were very blues-based. But when they started to write their own stuff, it wasn't by any means strictly blues. Well, I think our our biggest song, uh, besides Flute Thing, mm. was uh, No Time Like the Right Time, mm-hmm. which I wrote. And it was... It wasn't black, but it wasn't white. It was like a little mishmash of both of it. Right, right. Blues was originally, like jazz, it was totally black form of music. And then kind of, I don't know, in, in some parallel with the, with, the, with, the, with the folk era where city people started playing, you know, folk music and stuff. Well, I was very involved with that. Right. City people started playing a lot of blues, as in the Blues Project. And the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Paul Butterfield, Sigel Schwal. Uh, there were a lot of white blues bands. Well, that was a Jews band. Jews band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so it was the Blues Project. Right. Uh, and we talked about the, uh, the uh, almost sort of grotesquely... Uh, Jewish Blues record, Two Jews and Blues by uh, Bloomfield and uh, Barry Goldberg. Barry Goldberg, yeah. I would assume that the Blues Project played mostly to wide audiences. Little guys like me growing up, oh, the Blues Project are cool. Started the Butterfield Band. Right. Who did B.B. King play for? Everybody. There was a but, mix. But primarily black people. Oh, primarily black people would yes. go to B.B. King. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, because he was around before white people discovered him. Right. And so he maintained his audience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but black people were much less likely to turn out for the Blues Project or the... the, the black people didn't go see the Blues Project. Right. They probably laughed at the Blues Project. Maybe a little bit of uh, Butterfield because he had some black guys in the band. Right. Right. I don't know, this thing about... Well, the Blues Project was not really a blues band. Right. You would do some blues, but you didn't only do blues. No, we did, we did a lot of blues because of Danny Kelb. 
right. But Butterfield was the was a blues band. Yeah, well, blues and jazz. Unt- yeah, until East West, which yeah, was they didn't play no rock and roll. They didn't play no rock and roll. No. But we were we were good friends. There were times when I remember playing uh, two weeks at the Cafe of Go Go, a blues project in uh, Butterfield. Yeah. And we were we were all good friends. Yeah. Again, going back to the theme that we started with, which is this very uncomfortable dance between black music and white music. Black people made jazz, and white people said, oh, that's great. I'm going to do that. Black people made hip-hop, and white people said, oh, that's great. I'm going to do that, you know, because, you know, we had Eminem. You go all the way back to the minstrel shows. White people said, oh, that thing those black people are doing with the banjo. I love that. I'm going to go do that. And then it got kind of ugly. But it's been going on since forever. The, the Jews Project. The Jews Project. When the Blues Project was out, and it was a Jimmy Reed or people like that, and they were opening for you, and you didn't feel comfortable about that. No, we, we didn't because, you know, we knew who they were. Right. We knew where it all came from. But I've, I found that embarrassing. Yeah. Although, uh, 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 Jimmy Reed specifically was very basic. Right. And, and we, were, we were much more comparatively complicated. Well, to me, Jimmy Reed's a little bit like John Lee Hooker, and both of them didn't. No, have- they're very similar. Well, they, they, they didn't have tremendous complexity, but they delivered tremendous emotional depth yeah. with what they could do. Yeah. I just... Jimmy, well, Dan, Danny Kalb was like that. Yeah. Danny Kalb was, was extremely emotional as a singer and as a player. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why he was, it was his idea. Yeah. And they, he's still alive. He's still alive. Not doing sure. great, but... Yeah. No, not doing great at all, but... He's still alive. Yeah. Actually, we've only lost one guy. Of the Blues Project. Yeah, Andy Kohlberg. Who was a good buddy of yours, right? Well, they all were. They all were, yeah. Except? Steve Katz. You know, he's still playing under the name Blues Project. Yeah, but so is the drummer, who's a good friend of mine. Yeah, so what are you going to do? You know, God bless them. I hope they they keep getting... Make a living from it. Well, if they play Blues Project songs that you wrote, won't you get a nickel or two for that? From what? I don't know. Copyright? Doesn't... But what do you get paid? If someone plays your song live, do you think you get paid for it? You should. You don't. You don't? No. Hmm. Then how would they... Then how would they take a check home after they played a gig? I don't know. I thought that... BMI and ASCAP had it set up so that somebody paid somebody and somehow the money would get back to the you guys who wrote the song. I thought... If they record it. Oh, but playing live? Playing live? Anybody can do anything. I thought you couldn't really do that, but what the hell do I know? You don't know. I don't know nothing. Playing live, you can play anything you want. Okay. And if it's not recorded in terms of like when you're playing live... Right. Then uh, it doesn't b- belong to anybody. So I can go down to Harvard Square 
and uh, play Bob Dylan songs. Play Bob Dylan songs or Al Cooper songs. And I don't have to pay you nothing. Yeah, and and they never did. Okay. What about all that Washington Square stuff in Greenwich Village and everything? People played there every weekend. But not for money. Yeah. They, no, they, but I mean, yeah. no, but not for money. We're but not if talking you, about... If you sing at a coffee shop, if you sing at uh, the bit... You don't, I don't get paid when someone sings my song live. So if I sing an Al Cooper song at the Club Passim, you don't... Nothing. I don't get a penny. Oh, well, I, in that case, I'm going to play Al Cooper songs for two weeks at Passim. But they, don't, they don't know I'm coming, but, uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, no, no, you you don't have to pay anybody a cent to re, to sing their song in public. This has been Coopercast, episode eighty-eight, brought to you by Emulated Blues. Submit questions for Al at alcooper.com on the Coopercast page. <laughs>